Asia-Pacific Current. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday the 10th of September. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Jodie Peskett. And we are broadcasting to 9.30 this morning. Thank you to Annie McLaughlin for another brilliant Solidarity Breakfast. Um, that song that you went out with was God Save the Queen by, I'm pretty sure it was the Sex Pos, but I'm not sure. <laughs> it was just kind of flashing on my screen in a very strange Strange way. Um, coming up on today's program, in the second half of the show, I um, will. Sp- I, I spoke to Andy Hall. He's a migrant worker specialist and a journalist, and he's the person who has brought a uh, forced labour claim. Uh, to the US court system um, in relation to workers in Malaysia who are making products for Ansel. You might have seen this in the mainstream press. It's a campaign that Australia Asia Worker Links has been working on for a couple of years now, um, a global picket line campaign in Ansel's um, supply chain. Uh, it commenced with the Uh, sacking and lack of compensation for the unionists in Sri Lanka. And then as we did more and more work, we discovered this um, uh, forced labour in in Ansel's supply chain. So we'll be bringing you that story uh, in the second part of the show. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. But it is time now for news from around the region, and I'm going to kick us off in Australia in relation to some solidarity work. Ten years after more than 250 people died in the Ali Enterprises fire in Pakistan, the deadliest factory fire ever in the global garment industry, deadly... Um, safety violations persist in factory supplying H&M, C, uh, CNA, Bestseller and Zara. A new report by Clean Clothes Campaign reveals these brands' attempts to delay the expansion of the International Accord for Health and Safety in the textile and garment industry that, of course, um, was triggered by actually what was the biggest disaster, not the biggest um, factory fire, but the biggest disaster in the glo- um, global garment industry, which was the collapse of Rana plaza. September 11, 2022 marks 10 years since the catastrophic Ali Enterprises fire in Baldia town, Karachi, where more than 250 garment workers lost their lives due to numerous serious safety violations in the factory. With still no binding agreement in place between apparel brands and labour unions to keep workers safe, Pakistani garment and textile workers on uh, today remain in the exact same unsafe conditions that led to this horrific disaster a decade ago. Clean Clothes Campaign and advocacy groups who stand united around the globe to draw attention to the ongoing safety issues in factories in Pakistan 
uh, and publicly call out brands like H&M, CNA, Zara and Best Sellers that are purposefully delaying the expansion of the cord that could protect workers' safety. It is abundantly clear that industry-led initiatives and self-audits have failed and Ali Enterprises is just one example of this. The Ali Enterprises factory was certified by the well-known social audit company Rena Associates, which marked the factory as safe only a few weeks before the devastating fire. The expansion of the Accord to Pakistan can ensure credible, independent inspections, remediation, safety training and a complaint mechanism to keep workers safe. On this day, we stand in solidarity and mourn with the families of the victims and the survivors. All right, and now we move to India. We're on the 7th of September 2022. A contract worker died and four others sustained serious injuries after a gas leak at Array Drugs and Pharmace- Pharmaceuticals in Maharashtra's um, Pagla district on the 4th of September. The gas leak, which caused nausea, headaches and dizziness, happened in the early morning as the workers were ending the night shift. Management has committed to pay the family of the deceased worker a compensation of $7,513. US India's manufacturing industry is marred by occupational health and safety hazards that take their toll on workers, sometimes with a deadly outcome. According to data collated by Industrial, in the first half of 2022, at least 78 industrial and mine accidents have been reported, killing at least 199 workers and injuring more than 348. On the 5th of September 2022, the Federation of Free Trade Union of Workers of the Kingdom of Cambodia has been subjected to police intimidation during the nationwide minimum wage negotiations for the garment and textile sector. As a Cambodian National Council on Minimum Wage kicked off a tripart negotiations on 2023's minimum wage, so this um, meeting happened in August, um, a, a range of trade unions across Cambodia launched a campaign to demand a minimum wage of 215 US dollars. On the 1st of September, police suspended production at the Shu Premier Factory 2 in the Takio province, ordering that the Free Trade Union of Workers of the Kingdom of Cambodia remove campaign postings from the union's Facebook page. Police officers intimidated the local president of that union, Sal Thion, demanding that she sign an agreement on not posting any more on Facebook that can lead to problematic issues that affect society. The war in Ukraine and the subsequent energy crisis has significantly increased the cost of living for Cambodian garment workers, with the inflation rate surging to 6.5% in the first half of 2022. Cambodian unions are calling on the government to increase the minimum wage in the country's textile and garment sector from 194 US dollars to 215 US dollars. All right, now we're in Pakistan where after striking for a month, power loom workers have secured a win by signing an agreement with the employer on wage increases, contributions to social security and improved health and safety. Over 40,000 power loom workers in Fazalabad have been on strike since the 1st of August. Unions were demanding a 17% wage rise for power loom workers as mandated by the government with effect from the 1st of July. In the last month, inflation in Pakistan has reached an all-time high. 
the price of essential commodities, especially food, has risen sharply amid the catastrophic floods in the country. Not earning a living wage further deteriorates workers' situation. To secure the government-mandated wage rise, unions put up a strong fight when pressured by authorities to end the strike. Workers carried on the struggle until an agreement was signed with the employers. Striking workers in the Sudar industrial zone secured a raise of 15% in wages, while those protesting in Gullam, Mamadamabad industrial zone secured a raise of 14%. The agreement is valid from the 1st of July, with the raise applied to wages paid in June. The agreement also states that factory owners will contribute towards social security for the employees. Factory owners will also have to provide facilities to ensure workers' health and safety. Congratulations to those workers. And the young unionists from Asia Pacific met on the 2nd of September to discuss Industrial's youth resolution. The young workers will prioritise eliminating gender-based violence and ensuring youth involvement in all negotiations concerning their future. Industrial's third congress in 2021 adopted the 14-point youth resolution. The landmark document calls on industrial affiliates to include youth in decision-making processes, build young workers' capacity through training, organising campaigns and sharing experiences. 90 young unionists from industrials affiliates in 13 countries in South Asia, Southeast Asia and East Asia met online to identify priorities and required strategic actions. Participants proposed to tackle gender-based violence issues by including strong provisions in collective agreements, to set up monitoring mechanisms, to organise seminars and education programs to create awareness among young workers. The participants shared ideas on the objectives of the proposed Asia-Pacific Youth Platform, starting the process of coordinating young workers' action in the region. The Youth Platform, which has strong support from the region's Vice President and Co-Chair Akira Takakura, will allow youth leaders to attend regional meetings to gain more experience. Uh, Finally, an advance in youth representation in the union movement. Yes. All right. Now, on the 6th of September, more than 25 trade unionists from Pocheng production facilities in Cambodia, Indonesia and Vietnam met in Ho Chi Minh City on the, 30, on the 30th to the 31st of August. Committing to building solidarity and improving industrial relations, the meeting, organised with the support of FES Vietnam, focused on industrial's global sectoral priorities, including due diligence, just transition and supply chain industrial relations. Participants discussed working conditions and related national labour laws. The trade union network is important for exchanging information. Discussion points included wages, contract types, maternity leave, union recognition and negotiations, occupational health and safety and supply chain industrial relations. They agreed to improve communication through a national contact person for the network and committed to building solidarity among workers. Adidas, VF and Pocheng Vietnam participated in a discussion on industrial relations, corporate sustainability priorities, responsible sourcing, commitments to fundamental human rights and gender equality. Participants raised questions on social compliance, production plans, how brands promote supply chain labour relations and how, how grievance mechanisms and social dialogue contribute to a better workplace. 
and that is news from around the region. It's 13 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. We're going to go do some community announcements and then our feature interview for the morning. The United Nations International Day of Peace is being marked with a rally on Sunday the 18th of September, 12pm at the State Library in Melbourne. The theme of the rally is Truth, Not War. It's inspired by these words of Julian Assange. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. This will be a broad-based, inclusive, colourful and peaceful rally with speeches and music for peace. Joining to show your opposition to AUKUS and the acquisition of nuclear submarines. Take real climate action that recognises the massive emissions caused by wars and arms build-up and to march for truth and press freedom. To drop the prosecution of peacemakers like WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange. For more details, go to Melbourne for Assange on Facebook. Melbourne for Assange, Penn Melbourne, Anti-Orcus, Vic and Extinction Rebellion Afrisiar supporters. The Commons Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Hey, this is Nick from Pinar. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It's a very good reminder that if you're not a subscriber to Community Radio 3CR, please do jump on our website and have a look and subscribe. Um, Our radio station relies on you guys, our subscribers, and you do get representation on the Committee of Management um, when you're a subscriber. It is 16 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. We're going to go to our feature interview for the morning. Um, Earlier yesterday, I interviewed Andy Hall, who is a migrant worker specialist and journalist. He's involved in a global campaign against Ansel, uh, and that campaign is coordinated by AAWL. Andy brought a legal case against Ansel on behalf of some forced labourers in Malaysia. Personal protective equipment giant Ansel is being taken to task over its ties to a Malaysian glove maker alleged to have subjected workers to forced labour and squalid living conditions inside shipping containers. Andy, you are one of the main people behind the investigation and you're the person who brought a complaint to the US Customs Department. Tell us what your investigation uncovered. 
this is one of the worst uh, situations in the glove industry that I found in, in many years. Uh, I think it, it was a situation which had many of these indicators of forced labor, the ILO's indicators of forced labor, but particularly really poor accommodation, workers who paid so much recruitment fees, there was evidence of um, violence, harassment, really difficult working conditions, very long hours, um, passport confiscation, deduction from workers' salaries for things um, like food and, and other things. And, and it was really a difficult situation. And, and as we investigated that case and as we made complaints, uh, we also faced um, uh, retaliation against our two main whistleblowers in the case. And they both had to, um, they, they both ended up back in Bangladesh. One of them had to flee from the, from the, from the company. So it's a really difficult situation. And, and as I say, the US Customs and Border Protection has now blocked all of the Brightway's goods from coming into the US. So um, they've agreed with us that the indicators of forced labor um, uh, were, were detected. So it's a very difficult case, a very sad situation. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's concerning. That's why we're, we're taking this case in the US courts. A lot of those workers are migrant workers in Malaysia. What kind of backgrounds do they predominantly come from? So most of the workers in Brightway were from uh, Nepal, Bangladesh, um, India, um, but, but some other nationalities also. And, and some of those workers paid very high recruitment fees up to like maybe the equivalent of $5,000. So they came from incredibly poor backgrounds. Uh, maybe they didn't have any opportunities for working and for income in their, um, in their, um, in their lives. So it was, it was a really difficult situation for them. And they came to Malaysia to try to earn money, to try to, you know, eke out an existence. And, and they're very low skilled workers, most of them, although some of them may have had skills. And yeah, but mostly uh, low-skilled manual laborers who were working on uh, glove production lines. Can you describe um, a little bit about the way that the workers organised, if they had any scope at all to organise? What were the industrial relations type conditions for workers at Brightway? You've already talked a little bit about the retaliation against the whistleblowers, but can you talk a little bit about the scope to organise or are unions just smashed all together? I mean, it's a very difficult situation in Malaysia uh, because the union generally, um, with, with very few exceptions, reach out to migrant workers because they don't see potential to organise them or to get membership fees from them. There are some unions in a few glove factories, but almost both at the domestic or the regional or the international level um, to put um, resources and efforts into organising workers. So this is a sector which has little to no uh, union coverage. I mean, there are some worker committees within some of the companies, the glove companies in Malaysia. We're not aware of any in this, in this uh, company. So, I mean, essentially the workers are on their own. And, and like many of the work that I've had to do in the glove sector, it's essentially been myself and, and the guys that, uh, and, the, and the ladies that I work with have, um, have really tried hard to, to represent these workers. Um, on, on a global platform, uh, engaging Amsel, engaging other companies, uh, engaging media to try to get their voices out. But, but I would say that the voices that we've got out from the workers are not organized voices. These are, you know, cries for help and, and they're very much individual workers helping us, whistleblowers helping us. So I would say that this is an area where there's almost no um, social dialogue, no effective uh, industrial relations, no unions. Uh, no organised worker voice. It's very much us trying our best to, to get a voice of workers. And, and unfortunately, you know, the other way that workers' voice comes out is through these audits, you know, these social compliance audits. And what we found in Brightway and also across the whole glove sector is the complete failure of these social compliance audits to actually 
um, represent worker voice, you know. So, you know, the, the, what the audits were saying was there was no problems or the problems were not forced labor, they weren't very serious. So not only is there no industrial relations, no worker organizing, no organized worker voice, but the one method that can sometimes result in workers' voices being heard, which is these social compliance auditors, audits, which are supposed to be independent, also very much failed. So the workers were really without a voice uh, and without the mechanisms, you know, to do. Even even when we helped them, they faced retaliation, they faced harassment. So it's a really uh, difficult area to, to work in. How has Ansel, and there's another company that's been implicated in this Kimberly Clark Corporation, how have those two companies responded to the allegations? I mean, I've engaged Ansel. I was going back as we we're preparing for this legal um, legal battle in the US and, and also, you know, for the various media like ABC and, and Sydney Morning Herald and Fairfax and stuff, I was going through all my communications and I started you know as soon as I heard about this issue at Brightway I immediately engaged Ansel um, and it's been little to no um, communication from their side I think we had one call on, on some other issues but I've been engaging them because generally when I get information I, I will share it with the buyers um, I will share it with the media I will share it with investors I will share it with governments um, and I shared that information with them uh, and there was little to no response and, and I've continued engaging them um, as things have developed and I've had almost uh, zero a response from them with with a few exceptions there was one call and there i think there was one email recently once this issue of litigation started uh, and then also once we decided to take this litigation and again the workers have been paid back their recruitment fees after a, a huge battle and after the u.s customs uh, imposed the sanctions but we believe that that's not enough you know these workers suffered for so long in conditions of uh, alleged forced labor and we believe that this repayment of their recruitment fees um, is not sufficient to, to to represent the loss that they suffered and also we don't believe, particularly with Ansel, that they have actually been involved in, in, in remediating anything in this company. They may well have been, we just don't know about it. But we know that Kimberly Clark, for instance, the other major buyer, has been very active, very proactive, uh, very engaging with us. But Ansel has not been. And that's why we took this case, because we believe that these buyers, these massive buyers, need to be held responsible for the forced labor situation in their supply chain. And, and we reached out to the companies many months ago through the, the council that we've hired in the, the workers have hired in the US um, to try to engage them to try to uh, mediate this this issue uh, so we didn't have to take it to court and and they've been very much defiant and and refused to um, involve in any kind of uh, med uh, mediation um so that's why we had to take the case to court because we don't believe that they're they're addressing these complaints with the seriousness with which they need to be taken and we believe that we need to to, to file this case against them both to get the attention of uh, the company but also their investors and, and the wider international community as to the challenges that workers are being uh, that are facing here well my next question actually is about this court case in the us um it's being promoted as a case about modern slavery as you said in ansel's supply chain um, can you actually describe for the listeners exactly what is this? Like what kind of forum is this matter being heard in? What sort of court has jurisdiction for a case of modern slavery? So, I mean, obviously I'm not the lawyer in the case, but I'm very much engaged with it. I mean, this is a case under, under the US um, legislation, US case law. Uh, against Ansel's subsidiary in the US. Obviously, Ansel is headquartered, as you know, in Melbourne, but they're, they're, they have a subsidiary in the US. So we're taking this, the workers are taking this action against Ansel's subsidiary uh, for complicity in modern slavery or human trafficking related issues. So what we're saying is that the company was complicit 
um, or, or if they didn't know, they should have known. And so we're using the, the US court system to take this action uh, because obviously our lawyer is, is very expert in, in these modern slavery issues. So we're taking the case against Ansel's US subsidiary and we believe that they, they need to be held responsible and they need to remediate the, the situation of modern slavery that we've found and that the US Customs and Border Protection Department have found in their supply chain. Well, Andy, thank you so, so much for your time on the program today, particularly as I've squeezed this in while you're on personal time. Uh, just as a final question, where to from here? If you lose the case in the US, where to? If you win the case, where to? I think we've managed to raise the profile of the adequacy or, or otherwise of Ansel's sustainability commitments uh, and also, you know, to look at their modern slavery statement. And I've been raising these issues with their investors this week in London also to discuss these related issues. And so I think whether we win or lose the case, and, and we do feel very confident that we will win the case, um, uh, I think that the, the, the attention is being focused on the adequacy of Ansel's modern slavery commitments, definitely. And I think that um, uh, whether, as I say, whether we win or lose the case, that the profile or the, the, the importance of these issues has been raised by the, by the litigation. And I think Ansel is, is you know, and I think they, they have been aware for some time that there are many challenges in the, 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 the adequacy of their modern slavery prevention and also how they embed sustainability issues, including forced labour and, and social issues into their supply chain. So I think whatever the result of the court case, um, the, the, the heat is on Ansel and, and they have to respond. And, and that's not just from, from the uh, Australian Asian worker links, people like myself, activists, trade unionists, all of us that have been campaigning. But I think now the investors are also showing a lot of concern uh, over these issues. Ansel is a listed company. So I think that definitely we've raised the stakes and the profile. So I think that's a positive thing. The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world, putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NESS, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NESS sends aid, raises awareness, and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NESS is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. That interview that you heard just before that community announcement was with Andy Hall, a migrant worker specialist and journalist, and he's the one who brought the case um, to the US court system in relation to forced labour in Malaysia in relation to Ansel. I do apologise for the quality of that interview. It was conducted over Zoom and Andy is in a different country at the moment. But thank you for um, persevering with it. But that does, Jody, bring us to the end of another Asia Pacific Currents. Thanks all listeners for tuning in. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. And coming up next, of course, is Palestine Remembered. But that's it for me, Giselle Hanna. And me, Jody Peskett. 